Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm coming to you from Blue Wire Studios at The Win Las Vegas, and, and it's official. I'm declaring it right now. It is Masters Week, and I want to dive into every nook and cranny around Augusta National, and I could think of no better person to do that with than Mark Immelman. Mark, it is uh, good to have you. I'd argue even a pleasure to have you on the podcast. That was a uh, good to be with you. I love the new studios, and yeah, you know it's it's amazing how the whole thing sort of pans out. Just a few weeks ago, we were on the West Coast, you're on the doorstep of the Masters, and I must tell you, Olivia in Georgia, two days ago, I got the first real feeling of spring. You know, with a haze in the air, a little warmer, you could feel the air got a bit drier, lots of pollen around. So if I sound croaky, that's the reason why. But it's it's springtime. It's master's time. That's for certain. I was going to ask you, how are the allergies doing? That That's the real sign that it is uh, master's week is when, you you know, the eyes start to, to get real dry and all that stuff. <laughs> well, look, there's no makeup going on here. They're puffy. I've got stuff in my nose. It's master's time. It's master's time. And, uh, you know, you have such an intimate knowledge and history of not only this course, but this event. So I just want to kind of kick us off here with kind of a two parter, you know, why is the Masters so special for, for everybody, for us, for the game of golf? And then why is it so special for you personally? Well, just for the golfing public at large, you know, there's such an allure around Augusta National. Um, the golf course, you go there once every year. It's the same dates in the calendar. It's the first full week of springtime. And if you think of all the storylines, there's just something about the genius of the golf course that always, it, it, it is, it's always riddled with excitement until the final shot is struck or the final putt is hold. Something about the course just lays out so well. Obviously, the golf course is in pristine condition always, whether the weather's good or bad. It's in tremendous shape. The field's always great. The storylines are rampant. And I think it's coming off, you know, coming off winter in the Northern Hemisphere, and everyone's looking for that splash of color you get from the dogwoods and the azaleas. And so there's some of that mixed in. So it's just everything. I think the timing is great. The golf course is magnificent. And then, of course, there's the green jackets. <laughs> and there's that allure behind that too. And and if you had to ask any golfer who played the game what their bucketless stuff was, it would probably be, well, to play Augusta National and then to perhaps try on the green jacket one day, which is, you know, a golfer's dream. I don't care who you are. And, and for me, it's special because... Um, it was something we always dreamed about growing up in South Africa and to get over here and play the place a few times to get to go to the masters a few times. And then of course, having my brother qualify and play as an amateur in 99 and then uh, fast forward, you know, what's that nine short years later to win the whole thing in 2008, I still pinch myself. It's the stuff of which dreams are made. And, um, it's just bananas. And now to, to be on on the broadcast crew for CBS Sports on Amen Corner, is just, it's mind-numbing. So everything about it for me is, it, it's farther down the track, I think, than my dreams ever would have taken me. It's really fascinating when you when you lay it out like that, Mark. And just to be clear, you've, you've slipped on that green jacket, have you? You know what that feels like. <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to confirm or deny that <laughs> suspicion, but yeah, I think I might have just one time, maybe quickly. 
Amazing stuff, Mark. That's that's awesome. So let's let's talk about the golf course because this is the true test. And we have heard guys like Bryson DeChambeau call it a par 67. We saw how that went for him, Mark. But um, let's let's go through this course. And as you before we kind of go, we're not going to go hole by hole, but I do have a, a couple of thoughts that I want to run by you. Um, how would you assess the course? It's obviously in pristine condition, but what types of skill sets, what type of challenges are you going to see over these 18 holes? Augusta National, everyone thinks you've got to have a fantastic short game to compete, and that's true. Um, but I would take a step back and say that if you're a really quality iron player and you can control trajectory, spin and distance well, you'll be able to put the ball in the right spots because Augusta is the kind of place where, Augusta National, I should say, is the kind of place where you could miss by just a few yards and have 40, 50 feet instead of five feet. So you have to be so precise in playing into the greens over there. And Bob Jones said as much when he wrote his manifesto, really, to uh, advise patrons when they're watching. He said, the golf course will always be set up so that if a good player plays well, the score in the 60s are on, uh, is on. And then he also mentioned the fact that the golf course asks you to control tra trajectory and spin. And he wrote more than once of the fact that a well-struck shot will be rewarded. Never said a poor shot wouldn't be rewarded, but it is at Augusta National. There's so many margins where you're just slightly off or, or maybe you misjudge the wind or something that you can fall. One. And then number two, I would say that you've got to be somewhat defensive on the greens. Um, you've got to take high lines. You've got to be creative. You have to be able to play off uneven lies. Um, and, and that's a big deal around there too. Everyone thinks of making putts and stuff. For me, it's three-putt avoidance. For me, it's holding a bunch of four- and five-foot putts all day long. And it's also about selecting the correct shots around the greens. And that's why you see so many great champions, they're good around the greens, but they typically will be a little bit more defensive in their green reading to allow the ball to sort of fall into the hole as opposed as, as opposed to them charging any hole like you'd see at most other regular PGA Tour events. I'm glad you invoked Bobby Jones because we're talking 90 years of history at Augusta National, founded in 1930. And Mark, it's been... Uh, updated over the years there's been some holes that have been lengthened and modernized but is it is it immune to kind of being overpowered by a Bryson DeChambeau is it immune to kind of that that path that some of the modern players want to take on power is beneficial but power is not a guarantee for a good score around there there's nuance to the golf course um you can't go in there with the hammer, but if you if you bring the the velvet hammer with you, I think you're going to have more success. So, like a woods, you attack when it's when it's allowed. You defend when you have to. Um, yes, if you drive the ball a long way off the tee, you stack the odds in your favor, but there's no guarantee ever. You've still got to strike the quality wedge or the quality seven iron or whatever the case might be. You might have medium irons to all the par fives, but that never for once ever meant that you were guaranteed to make birdies and eagles. You've got to approach the golf course with smarts, with good control, with a bunch of savvy, and with a certain amount of respect and circumspection because that golf course can change on a dime. 
you know, how the conditions firm up, how the winds kind of move around the place. It is just a continual test. And I will tell you, having worked with Masters champions and then obviously watching and supporting them, just being a, a fan and walking along watching, as a fan, I'm nervous the entire time because you know that everything is on the edge all of the time. And if you get on the wrong side of it, that could be that. Um, so, yeah, power is going to afford you the advantage, but it's never guaranteed you anything around there. Having smarts, having control, savvy, respect, your words, Mark, that sounds a lot like experience goes a long way around Augusta National. Every time you play it, maybe you learn something new or two? I would say so. It's one of the few golf courses where you'll find the competitors will always come back with their old yardage book. Mm -hmm. And they're continually modifying lines on the greens. They're continually checking hole locations. They're continually drawing like trends that they might see in there. And you, you go and visit with a champion or someone who's played there a while, and that yardage book is like the Bible. I mean, it is loaded with wisdom and experience. So, yeah, this golf course does – she welcomes her champions because they've figured out the conundrum, if you will. Uh, and she does certainly reward experience because then you know when to attack. You know when to defend. You know which lines afford you uh, the best if you don't have your best stuff. Because you have to have a plan, too, if you don't have your best game about you to still survive. And we've seen a number of champions do that because you're not going to uh, just go crazy and dominate that place with rounds one through four. There's going to be a round, maybe a round and a half, that you have to survive some. And if you understand how to go about playing the golf course, then you can get by that day or that day and a half, whatever it is, with limited damage, really. One of the things that I wanted to circle back on is the undulation. We hear a lot about it on the greens, Mark, but we saw actually a, a rare photo from kind of the side of 12 green. It's an angle that we don't necessarily always get on TV. We saw a photo of it circulating around Twitter last year, and it really kind of jarred me. And maybe it's hard for the cameras to really showcase how much undulation, how uneven a lot of the lies that these guys are going to compete with all week, right? I mean, it's it seems like it's hard for us to know on television, but it's 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 the real deal when you're out there. The only level areas on the golf course are the 18, 18 teen grounds. <laughs> it is once you leave the teen ground, it's un it's uneven, and you've got to prepare for that. Um, like one for argument six, you travel straight downhill and uphill, and the fairway's got a few little humps and hollows and stuff in there to downhill right to left you're playing from a downhill side hill line a second going for this green that sits at an angle to you it's continuous and um with some of the adjustments that have been made to the golf course to sort of fit with the modern game and how long it is a whole like seven for argument's sakes that green was designed to accept a wedge because it's tiny and it's very tilted and nowadays, if you don't catch a drive, you could leave yourself seven iron or something into a minute target that has got all sorts of nooks and crannies on it. So it, it is. It's a challenge. And having the creativity and the imagination to, to um, hit the shot correctly or pick the correct shot, and then the certain amount of faith to trust what you're doing and to trust that if I hit the thing there, it's going to end up over there because mm -hmm. gravity is somewhat reliable. Sometimes it won't work out but you still take this leap of faith with many shots where you, you calculate all of the data, then you make your best educated uh, assumption, your guess and your, your, your decision, and then you go and you leave the rest up to, uh, to fate, really. 
I love that. And let's let's start going through a couple of these holes here. We won't go through every single one, Mark, but let's let's talk about the start. One, two, and three. And I love the names, right? T Olive, Pink Dogwood, and Flowering Peach. You've got what appears to be a, a simple hole number one that's gonna challenge you with just one fairway bunker, one greenside bunker. Number two is is kind of your scoring opportunity, Mark. That's the par five that we've seen Louie make an albatross on. And then number three, uh in Alistair McKenzie's own words, he believes it's nearly perfect in design. Design. This is a really stout and exciting way to start the championship. It is. Um, and something to look for, if you listen to all the pundits, they will say that hitting a draw or a ball that moves from right to left around there is a great idea. And I will counter that with saying, you don't want to miss left around Augusta National. Mm. Off the first, you've got that big bunker off the tee. It stands and looks at you straight in the face. But if you hit it down the left-hand side in those trees, you're not getting to the green. Same thing on tour. Those uh, pink dogwoods, they down the left-hand side in that creek over there, and you don't want any part of the left-hand side. You can play from the right. Same thing on number three, which is sort of deceptive because it looks wide in front of you. You've got the two bunkers down the left and then the trees on the right, and it looks wide, but it's actually quite narrow in the landing area. And then from there, you play to a green that just sort of falls gently to the front left-hand side. Anything short in it is disastrous. So you have to be so precise, and I can see why McKenzie called it the Great Hole, because it looks like you can get after it. But there's camouflage in some of the the uh, the areas that are punitive, and so it's just beautiful, but it's beguiling at the same time. Yeah, this is the hole number three that has had the fewest changes than any other hole on the golf course over the years, and that's when I always feel like when I'm watching, Mark, I feel like that's the first true test. Guys get themselves in some awkward positions around the greens, and you mentioned maybe uh, this is a, a second, a course for second shot players, but do you have to have uh, all the different types of short game shots? Can you get around Augusta National having a, a, a C-plus short game? No, sir. Um, <laughs> what you've got to be able to do, and I guess this is the, it, it's the, the check in the hitting the fairways column. Because if you're playing from the fairway, you can get a little purchase on the ball. And especially around these greens, guys that can chip the ball with a little bit of spin. So it just grabs enough on the first bounce to stun the forward progress. To me, those are the guys that do well. You look at Seve by Steros, you look at Jose Morel Athabal. Tiger Woods, same way. All the guys that have been good perennially around there, Ray Floyd, for your mistakes, great chippers of the ball, and they've got to have all the shots. But more than that, I feel like even your little chip and runs, they've got to have just a little grip on them because if you get the ball coming off badly, it can get away from you fast. Who are some of those guys in 2022, Mark? We saw Cam Smith with complete control of all the short game shots. We know that Patrick Reed, former champion, also has those types of shots. Obviously, Jordan Spieth. Who, who am I missing? Who can pull off all these shots? Um, Jason Day, to me, he's got a beautiful short game, and he's, he's, he's not one-dimensional around the greens, but he doesn't try the hero shot unless he's really forced to. And, and he, he chips and pitches the ball well. That's why you typically see him playing well or in his fits. Um, Jordan naturally is like a wizard with a wedge in his hand. Um, and, and off the top of my my head, you know, Ram has got a little of that stuff going on. But I would say the virtuoso of that bunch is Spieth. I mean, him with a wedge is just, he's one of a kind. Yeah, and obviously the history, it feels like he has three green jackets, Mark. Only, only one uh, to his name, but it feels like he should have 
a few more. What I love, and I'm, I'm so glad, you're, you said you're going to be on Amen Corner coverage again. Is that right? Did I understand that? Yeah, that's correct. Love this. Okay, so let's let's dive into this. And before you even get to Amen Corner, 11, 12, 13, number 10, historically the hardest hole on the golf course. It plays to a 4.3 scoring average. What makes 10 so difficult as you lead into one of the most famous three-hole stretches in all the sport? Well, it's long, and you've got that huge change in elevation. And if you hang one out to the – well, look, if you miss it left off the tee, you're cooked. But if you hang one off to the right-hand side, we've only seen one or two guys have success from there, and one of them was Bubba Watson, who pulled off the mirac miraculous. But then you're down there in the fairway, and if you get one into play down that slope, you've got a downhill side hill lie, and you're playing to a green that looks the and everything works down the hill, and it's very, very fast. And you miss anything right in those bunkers, and it's it's almost impossible to get it up and in because of the speed of the greens. And anything short and left is going to run away from you. So it's a tiny target to hit with a uh, longish medium iron. Even with an 8-iron or a 9-iron in there, you still feel so hemmed in because that target looks so small. And then, of course, the target is down and it's below those tall loblolly pines and you look up there and those things are weaving back and forth in the wind and you throw grass up and it's one time and then it's going downwind so you've got winds bustling around in that little neck all the time and then you've got to pick the right one and the right club and that's what makes it so challenging well, uh, 11 is no reprieve either, Mark. I mean, that stretch of 10, 11, that, that's going to beat up a lot of guys. They're going to be making some big numbers there. And that's kind of the first leg of Amen Corner. And as we get into this, uh, why this three-hole stretch? Why is it so special? Why do we care about it? Is it well-designed? Is it the allure? Like, what? why these three holes and why are they so famous? Well, I think it was perfectly named back in the day by Herbert Warren Wind. Um, cause you do, well, nowadays you'd like to get through there, you know, picking up one, but you know, it was coined, the phrase was coined that you make your three paths and you say yes and amen and you go on <laughs> because 11 is a brute. It, it, it travels downhill. It's 480 ish, 490 or something like that. The fairway turns right, but the fairway tilts left. And once again, if you're in the right trees, you can sort of manufacture something and get around the green. Typically, typically from the left side, you cannot. And then you play to this green that's below you, and it's bigger than it looks like. But that, uh, that little pond on the left-hand side, it just grabs all of your attention. And that's why you'll see these guys from the fairway just fan one out to the right-hand side of the green. And that's not the easiest pitch shot anymore with the speed of the greens. So making a four there four times, you're gaining strokes in the field. Um, and I would say, Rick, that if you get through 10 and 11, even par for the week, you got the leg up on the field, that's for certain. Yeah, you're certainly gaining strokes on the field, at least historically. And then, of course, number 12. Uh, this is the place that we see so many golf balls go to die in Rays Creek. And seemingly, uh, you've got that kind of awkward-shaped green. But this, this is a lot about wind, isn't it, Mark? Guys have a lot of issues figuring out what the wind is going to do to their golf ball. And we have seen many of hopes for that green jacket dash right here at 12. Certainly. Um, I would say that, you know, your average golfer, perhaps listening to this, they're trying to get their shots to narrow from left to right. So they're looking for more accuracy, where the game at the highest level is more about distance control. 
And that 12th green um, over the bunker in the middle is not even 10 paces deep. It is tiny in terms of long and short. Uh, the bunker, you can get away with some, but that thing about the bunker, you can easily draw it downhill lie, the front bunker that is, and it's a good four and a half feet deep. So the shot out of there is not very easy. Widest part of the green is the front and the left over there. When the hole's located in that area, you'll see guys, you know, playing some offense. And then, of course, the back right, that is just a tiny little corridor back there. And the green sits at an angle to you. So it might be 130 to the front left, but it's likely about 150-ish, 149 or so, whatever the number is, to the back right. And you've got that slope that sits toward you and anything that stands up in the wind is coming back into the uh, into Ray's Creek. And now all that, I said all that to set you up for when you've got about 10 yards to hit a ball into, long and short, and you trying to figure out what winds are doing downhill, downwind, sidewind, into the wind, it's, it's, an, it's an impossible task. And then once you guess right, then you've got to go and hit right. And all three of these holes, especially on 12T there, because you've got all the patrons behind you, you've got the action on 11, you've got 13 out in front, and then you look up at these trees, and it's just a, such a majestic scene. But you're standing there going, where's the wind? I've got to hit the shot. It might only be with a wedge, but you just feel so exposed there on that teeing ground. And so it's, to me, like the ultimate par three. It truly is. It's shorter than 150 yards. It's all you want. Everyone gets on that tee, and very few folks are decisive and know exactly what they're going to do. And if you had to offer them three, I'm sure most folks would just go, sure, and they'd head to 13 tee. Uh, what's the best way to play 12, Mark? Just over over the bunker all four days, right? Don't even don't even try anything else. Isn't that, uh, what, Jack Nicholas's path to victory? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the rule. Um, I would say with the left hole locations, um, you can go ahead and play aggressively, take those on. Um, but the right-hand side, that's the dangerous side because that green sits at an angle from front left to back right. So it's a longer carry over there. The ball's got more time in the air. So you want to be a little careful there. So yeah, Nicholas is right over that middle bunker on the final day hole location. If you can survive 12, you will get a bit of a scoring opportunity at 13, providing that you can position yourself uh, off the tee. And then Mark, everything that we always see, we always have the same camera angles on 13, where it looks like every ball is two feet above everybody's feet. And you really have to hit a, a doozy of a second to give yourself a look. Yeah, it's my case for why I don't think the hole needs to be lengthened. Whether yeah. you're going in there with a wedge or a seven iron or a hybrid, you've got the same challenge. And then you're looking at the tributary to raise creek there. And once again, this green sits at an angle and it plays sort of narrow. Where you see so many guys, no matter the club, they get over it. They've got the ball above their feet. And so that says to them, this wants to go left for the right-hander. And they're looking at that tributary and they're like, well, that's the last place I want to hit it. So they bail out, they hit the thing to the left, and that up and down from the left-hand side of the green is as difficult as anything on the golf course. So it is just a fantastic par five. You've got to go hit a good drive. You've got to shape it to keep it in the fairway. So you, the hole asks you to hit a shot off the tee. And then from there, you've got to button up and, and hit a quality iron shot. And then oftentimes you're on that green and there's no guaranteed two-putt as well because there's so many hills and valleys on there. And so... You've seen histrionics, like guys bending the ball off that slope through the middle of the green to a tight hole location. But then you've also seen some disaster. And uh, when my brother won in 2008, um, Brant Snedeker was in the final pairing with him. 
it was nip and tuck back back then, and Brandt hung one out to the right, uh, into the tributary, the water, and Trevor laid up and he wedged it to about four feet and made the birdie, and that was essentially that. So it's a great par five. You've got to be smart on the layup as well. Everything about it is good, and it doesn't need to be a mammoth, in my opinion. It's it's the perfect hole. If if it wasn't, if it was easy, you'd see the, the stroke average being lower, in my opinion. So I think it's just great. It's a good opportunity. It, it's so much more for my money than just the strokes that are being hit. Obviously, if these holes were one, two, and three, they'd still be great, but they wouldn't have the kind of aura where this thing, you know, it turns into a championship on Sunday when, when these guys enter Amen Corner. And if no matter what you do at 12, you've got to walk to 13 T mark, which is what the most secluded part of the property. And there's just a lot of time to to think and be with yourself. And for a lot of these guys who are trying to slip on a green jacket for the first time, it, it, maybe it's too much time to think. Maybe it's too quiet back there. It's almost spiritual back there because <laughs> you walk up and fall into the back of this alcove of trees. You've got all the flowers around you and, and, and it feels heavenly. And it is strange. I've talked to a number of players because the patrons are out behind 12T and up the right side of 13. So when there's a cheer, it gets to you later. The same thing happens on 12. Like players will say, you make a putt and you're so used to the crowds going up right away, but because they're away from you 160 yards or so, it takes that split second, the chair, to get to you because, you know, the sound moves between those trees there. And so, so it's sort of weirdly spiritual and odd back there. But when you're on that tee, you know it's a chance, but you can't go to sleep. You know, left again is not great at all. And the trees on the right, you're going to be miraculous to get it somewhere around the green. So if you can hit yourself a good tee shot and a good second, and incidentally, that yardage there for me, always plays about 10 yards longer than the yardage book says. I don't know what it is. Maybe the green slightly above you. I don't know what the case is, but it always plays a little longer. And all the champions will tell you that. And so it's one of those things, again, where you can't put a number on anything. It's, it's, it's the golf course and knowing how to play it. You're so uniquely qualified to discuss Amen Corner because you've seen, I mean, when you're on the coverage, you're seeing every shot that's hit there. Literally every single shot. Now, do you notice most guys trying to play it the same way or will you is are there different ways to play it or is everybody kind of at the mercy of taking the same route well number 11 you'll see everyone go with driver you know number 12 you'll see them hit the same looking shot into certain hole locations so those are pretty much paint by numbers but 13 you'll see some guys would go with less than driver you'll see some guys go with driver and try and turn it You'll see the big guys trying to take it over the top of the trees down the left-hand side. On the competition. So you'll see the most variation to me because the other twos are sort of cut and dried and what you have to do. All right. If you can get through Amen Corner unscathed, uh, maybe the most exciting hole for my money is number 16, Mark. And with that traditional Sunday pin position, there is an opportunity for not just a two, but maybe even an ace. And I've, I I know you've told the story before with your brother. I, I'm going to make you tell it again because it's so good. And I want to spread this story about uh, about how his ace at 16 and how you found out about it. It was back in 2005, um, and there was a lot of rain that year, and uh, there were extra holes played. So they finished the final round on uh, Sunday morning, and he shot 65 to get into, I think it was the third to last group, 
uh, maybe the second to last group. My memory fails me. And he's going along. It's not going very well. And Tiger's in the final group. And so Tracy, my wife, and I, we're watching. But with all the rain, a lot of the grounds were wet naturally. And so they were directing traffic certain ways. And so we're there on the, on the right-hand side of 15. And we couldn't get any further down. The only way you could get down there was down the left. Incidentally, my dad went down there, and he was beside 16T when it happened. So Tracy and I stuck up there, and so we're on the rope line, and we watched Tiger come by. And I'll never forget then, as an aside to the story, Woods, you know, he's so singular in what he does. He's all business. And there's this little kid next to us about four or five people away, and the little boy goes, go get him, Tiger. Pushes his head and looks right at him and smiles. And I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> Um, then he walks past us and he hits a shot oh, and we can't see him now because you travel over the hill and we stuck there on the right side of 15, very close to uh, the 17th hole. And you've got a big leaderboard there that's behind the seventh, which is probably about a hundred yards away from where we are, that big white leaderboard. And all of a sudden you hear this roar, just ring up through the, the pines there. And I look at Tracy and she's like, Tiger made an eagle. And everyone's like, yeah, Tiger made an eagle. So well, I'm trying to figure out, well, how far back is Trevor now? And all of a sudden, this guy taps me on my shoulder, and he points at the leaderboard, and he goes, no, it was your brother who made an ace on 16. Because you saw the – he went from five to seven or whatever the number was. And so, yeah, one of the loudest shots I've ever heard I didn't get to see, and it was my brother. So we relived it, uh, obviously, afterwards, and we got the video of the thing and – uh, someone framed a picture of me because he jumped way into the air. Yeah. I didn't know he had the hops that he did. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, it was a pretty cool memory. And that was in 05. And then he parlayed that, obviously, into the victory in 08 because he went through the same place in the final round there, made a double on 16, but still won the tournament on the final day. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story. I love that story. And 16 is... Uh, to me, the epitome of tradition around Augusta National, right? For the most part, you know what pins you're getting rounds one, two, three, and four. I mentioned the traditional Sunday pin, but Mark, I mean, uh, there's a lot of excitement here. There's there's low number. Is this a hard hole? I, I never even really stopped to think if it's difficult or not. We saw Xander rinse one late when he was in contention, uh, but you don't see a ton of balls in the water, do you? Um, no, you don't, but you're going to paper, paper cut yourself to death around there. And I would say of the four hole locations, the hardest one is back right up on that plateau. Uh, it's tough to get to. And if you hit it through the back, you're done in those bunkers. So you'll see a lot of guys just hit it short, come down the hill and make three. But they're really the hardest hole location is the front right, because that same plateau that cuts through the green on that diagonal, it's tiny up there. And if you hit it hole high, you're putting uphill. And once it presses the slope, it runs away from you down the hill. And if you're missing that front right greenside bunker, unless it's soft, you've got no chance. You've got to, you're going to have a 25-foot par attempt. But they make that one a little more playable with cross breezes and stuff by moving the teeing ground forward. So it plays like 140 yards or so. So most guys have wedged to that whole location. But it is minute. And the little area is just like a little mound. And if you left or right just by a few feet, you're 25, 30 feet away from the target. So that one, I would say, is the is the hardest, but likely on 16, if you make a mistake, you're making bogey. You don't oftentimes see, you know, hemorrhages and stuff. Yeah. And then as uh, the pressure continues 
to get ratcheted up and you work your way to 18T, which I don't know, Mark, I don't know how wide those trees are in reality, but I imagine if you're standing there in contention on a Sunday afternoon, they look about one yard wide. It is single <laughs> file down there and you know it's, and you know, again, that left is nothing but holly bushes and disaster unless you hit it a certain distance. You've got the bunkers through the fairway looking at you and then those trees on the right, they seem to get taller and they encroach even more every year. So it's just a difficult tee shot. Um, it's one of those where it's like Bob Jones in all of his wisdom looked at this and said, this green jacket is going to be the most grandiose prize in the history of the game ever. And you're going to have to earn it with one more shot. You're going to have to hit yourself a really good drive. And then you give this shot where it's way uphill. It's a good 10, 12 yards uphill. You cannot see the base of the flag. And that green is narrow as well. So if you win the green jacket, if you make par on the last, you've earned it. Now, that's where I think sometimes television, you see these guys coming in where they're just peppering that front left flag because of the slope behind it. But it's not as easy as it looks, I'll tell you. These are guys at the height of their power with adrenaline surging that have fit together two really good shots to get a look for a birdie there in the wind, maybe. Yeah, and that's a, that's a tiered green, Mark, right? Yeah. You've got to be on the right section, and you're right. It is definitely more uphill than what we perceive from television. So even after that difficult tee shot, you, you can't necessarily uh, breathe a full sigh of relief because you've got another difficult one coming. Well, uh, back to 2008, um, my brother wasn't watching leaderboards. He sort of knew what was going on some. And he, get, he got there on the tee and hit this hard sliding fade, perfect tee shot in the middle of the fairway. He called it his best tee shot of the week. And so they get there and he's caddy Neil, because some of the caddies for caddy with a new tee that's way back there. His caddy Neil was at the ball before the time and the ball was in a deep divot. And Trevor gets up there and Neil tells me, he goes, I went to him. And I said to him, you've got one more shot to hit. Mm. And so Trevor got there and he's like, whoa. And um, so they just grinded. They got over it and he had eight iron into the green. And when they were walking up the hill, because you cannot, you, you can't see the, that big leaderboard. You look at the back of it. Um, Trevor goes, what's happening? And Neil goes, you can enjoy it. <laughs> and then when they got there, Trevor was trying to figure out how many putts he had to win. Because he's like, I didn't want a three putt in front of all these folks over there. So, so yeah, it was like you say, even though you hit the good drive, you have to still hit the second. And, you know, where a lot of the balls land, sometimes you have divots and stuff like that. And so there's, again, some fortune involved where you can hit a perfect shot and have it not work out. But suffice to say that, you know, many dreams have been made there and it's, it's the most incredible stage in the game. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, Trevor's victory was what, three shots by, by the time it was all said and done? Well, shows you how hard the course was playing. We got there on Sunday morning before he arrived. I was sort of preparing a little bit. And it was one of those days you get there and I just saw the trees just weaving back and forth like this and it was overcast and it was chilly. And he shot a final round of 75 and extended his two-stroke lead. Mm. He won by three, shooting 75 in the final day, which shows you how hard that place can play when it's firm and fast. Yeah, I, I love that. Okay, Mark, well, we've, we've gone through a lot of the holes here. We've talked about all the types of things that you need to find success. Let's start talking about how that could look for this year. We are in a time here in 2022 where it seems like all the best players in the world are – 
ready to rock and roll. They're playing well. You know, there, there's not much concern around all of these guys. And it's really hard to try to figure out who Augusta National sets up best for. I'll, I'll throw out the first name here for you, Mark, because Justin Thomas has been uh, outstanding coming into the event. Every year he seems to get closer and closer. But now this time with bones on the bag, does that does that make a difference, Mark? Bones on the back? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, they've, they've both been around there so much. Maybe Bones might just kind of rein him in a little bit if he wants to hit a shot that might not be appropriate at a certain time in the game because Bones has been on you know, Phil's bag there with multiple wins. So maybe there's some management. But in terms of understanding the golf course, I don't think so. You know, JT knows it well enough. He's played the place enough. Um, for me, Justin Thomas winning is going to have he's going to have to putt better than what he has been, mm. um, because you you're not going to be able to escape a bulky putter because that place is going to ask you to hold five and six foot sliding left to riders and downhill stuff coming down the stretch. It doesn't get handed to you, and you're going to have to make putts to win. When it comes to, uh, you know, Monday morning of Masters week, we, I don't know what the odds are going to be, but there's going to be the familiar names at the top. Is there someone that you are keen on for this year that you think has a really good chance of slipping into the green jacket on Sunday? Um, my heart says Rory. Yeah, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of his game right now. But my head, I'm just drawn to Xander Shoffley right now. Um, you know, everyone's critiquing Xander for the fact that he's had all these top 13s or 15s or whatever it is, and he's not winning. I just see a very well-organized golfer who drives the thing long enough. He's a beautiful iron player, and he's not going to blow your hair back on the greens, but if you watch him, he puts somewhat defensively. And so right now I've got my eye on him, and he has been good there before. I think a couple seasons ago he might have finished runner-up. So I got my eye on, uh, on Shafley a little bit. Then you get the suspects, the John Rahms and that sort of crowd of the world, the Cantleys. They'll be around. They're too good, too good not to be. Um, but I think in the end, it's more than just the hands and the feet of Augusta National. You've got to play well, clearly. You've got to make good decisions, absolutely. And then you've got to sort of be able to deal with the rough and the smooth. And you're going to get a situation there where you might hit the wrong side of a slope and the ball kicks away from the target. The champion deals with that. The golfer who's not qualified or ready for that green jacket doesn't. And so a lot of the contenders, that's what I look for too. And it just seems to me like Shafley is just so at peace with everything all the time. And he's like, well, good bounce, bad bounce. I've got to go hit the next shot. And so that's why I'm drawn to him right now. A Xander victory would certainly quiet many of the critics and he should be winning more and he should be doing that. And mm. uh, a, a green jacket would certainly uh, quiet those conversations. You heard it all from the mouth of Mark Immelman. You can hear more from Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore Immelman. Mark, really appreciate you doing this. I'm glad we were, we were able to connect because I, I can't believe it, but the Masters is already here. <laughs> Told you when we spoke a few weeks ago, I was like, hey, it's just around the corner. And it doesn't feel like it, but, but spring arrives. And with spring, there's new life. There's, I mean, you get the gift of new flowers and the, the, the days are a little longer here because of daylight savings time. So it's, it's a great time for golf and spring's here and the Masters is now on the doorstep. Oh, great. Absolutely love to hear that. Big thanks to Mark Immelman for joining us today. This has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unknown, and we'll catch you next time.